Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft. How's it going, John? 12 and 8 is a lot better than 11 and 9. It's going well. Indeed. We just came off of watching the end of Grizzlies-Knicks, and we're going to get into that game because it sure was an exciting win. This would be a, a lot more sad of a podcast if we did not pull that one out. So thank you to uh, John Morant and the rest of the crew for that. The Grizzlies are 12 and 8, third in the Western Conference, sixth in the NBA, 113 offensive rating per NBA.com. That's good for 10th in the league. Defensive rating at a 112.1. That's good for 18th in the league. Slowly climbing in both of those categories by one spot as uh, compared to last time we talked to you guys. And then uh, lastly, net rating at a 1.0, which is 12th in the league. And uh, Clean the Glass had not updated at the time that I put this down, but they are at a point differential of 2.7, which is ninth in the league. All right, before we get to the Knicks game, let's start with the news. John, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so the so the biggest news of the week, uh, which is funny because if you listened to us last week, you know that we were sort of uh, talking um, around uh, the jaw injury, trying to figure out what we were going to do, um, how long he was going to be out. Well, uh, that's because, you know, on November 19th, John Morant was was said to be week to week. That was like the day after we recorded our last podcast with a grade one left ankle sprain. And so at that point, that was good news, though. We were thinking, you know, maybe at most two weeks, we were looking at next Friday's game as may, maybe being his return. Well, it didn't take long. Two days later, uh, it came out that John Morant was listed as doubtful for the Kings game. Um, Which was shocking news already yes. that he wasn't considered completely out. Come out, yes. It was doubtful. And so then we were thinking, getting excited, because, well, well, man, with him being doubtful, then that means he'll actually play Friday maybe. Uh, so we were excited about that. But no, lo and behold, he woke up the morning of the Kings game on November 22nd, and he was upgraded to questionable. And so, uh, and usually uh, when players move in that direction, uh, a questionable usually means that they are going to play. That's a game time decision, but normally uh, if everything looked good, they, they play. And of course, uh, John Morant did play in the Kings game. So basically um, he only missed one game uh, with what we thought was a grade one left ankle sprain. Pretty crazy. It is unbelievable that he was able to come back in this short of time especially given the diagnosis of week to week I mean he's just not real like right. I, I hope that this is not just a product of youth but just something that is going to be always <laughs> around John Morant given the type of yes. style that he plays with because we're going to need him and this probably won't be the last ankle sprain but man it it shows you too I mean I don't know we're going to get here soon, but I don't know, judging by how things went in the Nets game, if we were going to fare any better in the next games to come. And without Ja, it would have been hard to win or get be close in at least two out of those right. three. We, so, could, we could be talking about a four-game losing streak tonight, which easily, would be really sad. Easily. Um, and, and so he came back. I mean, and, and it's crazy because even on the, the Kings game, I do feel like, and we'll get to that game in, in a, a minute. I do feel like I was a little nervous sometimes that maybe he's – playing through pain. And I remember texting y'all that I was worried about him, the way he was kind of moving. And then like five minutes later, he proceeded to attempt a dunk over like the entire Kings team. So, uh, that he missed that he might've made, I don't know, but, but it was like, okay, I guess the ankle's fine. Classic so. jaw. Uh, on November 21st, a really interesting news item came through the Grizzlies PR account, which was that Xavier Tillman 
had been assigned to the Memphis Hustle, which meant that he would be out for the Kings game, and I believe the Hustle played maybe in Birmingham one of those nights. And so uh, Tillman was a part of, of the G League team for a little bit of time. John, what did this mean to you? Yeah, so there's a couple things. If you read some of the articles, both from Grind City Media and from the Day of Memphian, a couple things really stood out to me about this. One was that apparently before the season, the coaching staff approached Xavier Tillman and told him that he was going to be out of the rotation uh, probably for a while, um, barring injuries, and that they were planning on giving the rookies lots of minutes. So just an interesting that, that, that he was told that from the beginning. Uh, we didn't know that. Um, and then uh, and with that, I think because of that, he was he also told them that he was open to playing some games, the Memphis Hustle, if he went if he went a few weeks without getting any run, that he was willing to go down to the hustle. And this is like, I mean, it's pretty unprecedented for someone who's been in the league as long as Tillman has. Like he played summer league last summer uh, and and he's now uh, playing, you know, it was only one game, but going down and getting some run in the Memphis hustle. And I just think it speaks uh, to sort of both speaks to Xavier Tillman. Um, and one of the reasons why I think we like having him on the bench, he doesn't seem to get, I know he wants to be in the rotation, but I think he's somebody who's ready to go when he's called on, but he's okay. Um, it also speaks to, I think, not just Tillman, but our culture in the sense that one, our front office and coaching staff communicate to players what, you know, what expectations should be. But then another great thing, and, and if you read the Daily Memphis article, uh, you saw these pictures of uh, down there of Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, David Roddy, others going down to South Haven to watch him play in the Memphis Hustle game. And I just think that speaks to our culture. One, that we have a player who's willing to do that and that we have other players that are willing to go and honor that and uh, sit and watch him play and cheer him on. And I just think that's just a great thing when I, when I think about people like Junior Lofton, I think about Vince Williams, um, and, and even, even you know, and I think w- hopefully one day we'll get healthy enough to where we'll have to put Roddy and Laravia down in the hustle to get some run too. And I just think I love that, that we have that culture and that our front office can really use our G League team for, that, for those um, you know, for just letting players who haven't gotten play in a while get run. I just think it it just makes me feel really good about being a Memphis Grizzlies fan. Yeah, 100%. And you all signs now, to me, given this recent development and the that conversation that was reported on, that, you know, Tillman is not probably going to be long for the Grizzlies. And this could very well be his, his final season, or I would fully expect him to be in a lot of trade talks come – you know, February. And so it's going to be interesting to see his future with the Grizzlies. And I think that this not only shows his uh, character, honestly, and then also his willingness to uh, be a great teammate and mentor to guys that are coming up. And that could also bode well for his long-term career because other teams are going to notice this as well and see his attitude. Yeah, because it does feel like um, in his only shot at in the rotation this year is really if Adams and Jaron get injured. Um, and so hopefully that doesn't happen. And, but also I just think long-term we'll probably look to have more of a big bruising player, like another, like some kind of minimum level, uh, Steven Adams type player. Who's not as good, um, in that role probably. So, well, we had some other injury news that came out and we would like to just go through these 
one by one. And I'll start at the top with John Conchar before the Pelicans game was listed as questionable for left calf soreness. He ended up playing, but it's worth noting because he has been on the injury reports uh, with this left calf soreness more than a couple of times. And so hopefully this is not something that continues to present itself, but it has already this season. So this is definitely something to monitor, especially as the backcourt is so thin for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. So, um, so definitely looking at that. Um, And then, and then similarly, we both had, we had Sante Aldama, um, as well as Steven Adams, as well as Xavier Tillman this this week, all be listed as questionable with non-COVID illnesses. And so uh, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, we don't know. We know it's not COVID, um, but, uh, but it seems like something was going through the team. I'm hoping it's done because we haven't had anything. I'm hope seems like it was all 24 hour stuff because nobody missed more than one game uh, with that, but just something to keep in, in mind. If you look, if you pay attention to the rest of the league, we've had a lot of non COVID illness stuff going around. And I just think a lot of people we know get the, have gotten the flu, have gotten the bug. So um, hopefully that's something that moved through the team and we're not, we won't have to worry about it again. Yeah. More importantly, we have a couple of, of updates to, speculate on not hard and fast information but worth updating Desmond Bain was was seen getting up shots per Drew Hill before the game tonight against the Knicks the two-week mark from the injury which was on November 15th uh, when they reported that there would be a two to three week reevaluation period so two weeks from that day would be the 29th of November which is two days from now from when we're recording on Sunday night. So that is definitely something to watch. He'll probably be reevaluated at some point this week. And hopefully we get good news there from, from Bain because we definitely need him. Yeah. So definitely I'm hoping if, if we don't get it, uh, Tuesday because we have a road Wednesday game sometimes you wait till we get back in town I would I would expect by Thursday that we get some kind of update on Bain um, one nice thing is that uh, this afternoon there was some some photos on Twitter of him getting up shots in Madison Square Garden so I'm excited about that yeah and his boot came off this yes. week as well because he yeah. was initially wearing one right after the injury and and so far he has not been wearing that boot and then finally Zaire Williams we've been waiting all season to see him come back We are officially in the four to six week timeline for Zaire. So the 23rd of November was the uh, four week mark uh, of the four to six week timeline. And so that extends all the way to uh, December 7th is the exact six week date. And we do have a game actually that night. So hopefully we see Zaire as well in the next two weeks. It'd be unbelievable to actually get one game maybe with our full rotation and everybody healthy so yes. we'll see fingers crossed right plus i mean it just is will be fascinating do we play 10 do we play 11 i mean anyway we i long for the day yes <laughs> we get to see that okay let's get into the next game we're going to go backwards here because we did have four games between the last time we recorded and, and this time so we had the brooklyn loss we had the sacramento loss the pelicans stomping on friday night and then we had this thriller in New York against the Knicks and John, I mean, where, where should we begin with this game? Uh, well, as always the garden, um, and, and it was fun. And, uh, we had celebrities, uh, fish making their uh, relationships public. Yep. Tonight. That was huge. <laughs> we had, uh, 
uh, even though I think, you know, it was funny seeing all the tweets and then like Ben Stiller sitting next to uh, the hot couple and nobody's. Um, so it was, I mean, so this is where I'm going to show my age, but it was, it was Davidson and um, Radikowski. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they came out for the first time in public, uh, but then like Ben Stiller sitting right next to him and nobody said anything about Ben Stiller, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but, uh, but so uh, Madison square garden, I mean, and you know, I mean, I think uh, lots of things to take away, but the, the biggest, you know, the thing that you're going to see all, everywhere tomorrow is jaw triple double in the garden uh once again uh, anytime he goes uh to brooklyn goes to new york uh, jaw uh plays a great game i love that he loves the bright lights and uh and, and it was great to see him and especially in a game where they kind of built a wall sort of like a Giannis like wall to, uh for the knicks to keep jaw try to keep him out of the paint keep him from getting the rim and so it was great seeing him get 14 assists i believe that was a career high in yeah. assists for yes. for Ja, he tied his career high, and they were. If you watch the game, they were blitzing Ja. I mean, he he runs a lot of pick and roll with Stephen Adams out top, but they were especially near the end of of the quarters and things like that, where they knew that Ja was going to get some ISO situations. They were bringing him out, and Ja was forced to make a play, and more often than not, he did make the right play. I think it would be really interesting to go through the last five minutes here yeah. and just to, to show how much of a back and forth it was. And so the I'll start with this. There was a, a Knicks challenge made on a Mitchell Robinson, uh, what was called initially a foul on a Santi Aldama layup, but then after a challenge, it was overturned, and it was 110 to 107 Grizzlies at that point. So then the Jalen Brunson show really started, who is the, the Knicks' new marquee guy. And so he, he hit a shot to, to basically make it a one-point game. Ja came down, got fouled, missed first free throw. We'll get to free throws here in just a second. He made the second one. Jaron came in came in the game. I, I know I personally was wondering how late Jenkins was going to wait for Jaron to come in. And then Cam Reddish actually put the Knicks ahead, 112 to 111. It might have been their first lead of the game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but then Ja makes a, a nine-foot driving floater to put the Grizzlies up one at this point in the game. We had Cam Reddish missing a three. Steven Adams made, made an offensive rebound in a two-point uh, Thank you, here. Cam Reddish, for not letting John Jalen Brunson exactly. Shoot, I was thinking the same thing <laughs> at the time. Uh, Jalen Brunson then made a layup out of a timeout. Uh, ja made a huge twenty-foot uh, pull-up jump shot to to extend it to another three-point lead. Yeah. Jalen Brunson made a couple free throws, not it, brought it back to one point. Dylan made a huge three to, to bring it to one twenty yes. to one sixteen. To also get Jaws fourteenth assist, Tyskur high. Exactly, Jalen Brunson. 24-foot step-back jump shot to bring it to a one-point game, and now we're at the minute-and-a-half mark. Ja comes down, gets fouled, makes two free throws to bring it to a three-point game. R.J. Barrett, who had a pretty good game, he uh, made a layup to bring it to a one-point game. Ja missed a a three-point shot, which was one of those that you, if he makes it, you're, you know, Freaking out, you're excited that he pulled up and iced the game because we were up one at that point and it would have put it to four. But when he misses it, you're wishing that he would have just attacked the basket and maybe yeah. gotten to the line again or at least... He, and, and we'll get there in a second, but he did one of those in the Kings game as well. He did. He so. did. Uh, Dylan had his sixth foul, which in my opinion was not a foul. Uh, Jalen Brunson slipped and Jenkins did challenge it, which I supported 
hundred percent, and it, unfortunately, it was not overturned. I guess there was slight contact uh, well, to it's, Brunson. It, yeah, that's one of those calls that's frustrating because, uh, like, I think in a replay situation, because there was foot to foot contact, they have to uphold the call. But I think tomorrow, I'll, I'll be interested to see the last two minute report because, like, I, that should have been a no call and a play on. Uh, but once you call it, I think then you have to basically stick with it if there's contact at all. So Yeah, I understood it, that the letter of the law, it was definitely one of those yeah. where it's kind of like the out-of-bounds where if you hit the ball out of somebody's hand, if their fingertip was the last one to technically touch it, even though you're the one who made the, the play to to knock it out. It's, it's one of those, the, like you said, the two-minute report will be really interesting. Jalen Brunson made two free throws to put the, key, uh, the Knicks up by one with 26 seconds left. And then Ja came through, had an offensive rebound, which was his ninth. And it was a true, I was going to mention, he was at eight rebounds and any player in his position is going to try to get the triple-double and maybe have like, you know, a rebound that's not in the flow of the game, but just because they want to rebound. No, his last two rebounds were actually in the flow of the game because he got blocked, had a 360 layup that he tried, and then got his own rebound, went up, made a layup, put us up by one with 13 seconds left. And let's see, uh, Jalen Brunson missed a pull-up jump shot. John Conchar, great defense on Jalen Brunson. Ja got his 10th rebound, then got fouled, made his first free throw, missed his second free throw. So we were up by two, 125 to 123 with seven seconds left. Jalen Brunson tries another jump shot, misses. Jaron Jackson gets the rebound, hits two free throws. We win by four. So it was an up and down last five minutes. Jalen Brunson tried his best to uh, to really win it for the Knicks. And yet, we prevailed. So what yeah. was the biggest thing down the stretch that you noticed, John? Um, so, I mean, my part of my frustration was I just, uh, I mean, it's just interesting for me because I assume with Jaron and Dylan, and of course, Dylan ended up falling out, is that for us that we would be able to get stops. And the question is, can we score on this kind of Knicks team that's going to pack the paint in? And in fact, no, it was like an offensive back and forth. Neither but neither of us could stop uh, the other one. I do think that, you know, Jalen Brunson's kind of fadeaway little jumper that he shoots is just not something built uh, for for Dylan to be able to guard well. It's just interesting. I mean, I think, I think he fits that in a weird way, the C.J. McCollum Grizz killer mold for some reason of kind of like smallish guards that kind of have weird ways of getting their shots off. I don't know. It's, it was, but it was just unbelievable to see um, Jalen. And so, but for me, it's just, you know, that, that uh, once again, we just uh, besides, you know, a couple of missed free throws, a missed three that I wish he'd drive more, um, you know, just the, the confidence that, you know, we have a really good shot of winning close games because of because of Jaw, honestly, and because I think Dylan and Jaron are both there for it as well. And I just think we have a team that thinks they can win in those situations, which is really fun. Um, and so we pulled the game out. It's exciting. It was a super exciting game. Uh, I think it was a needed win for us to kind of keep the momentum that we started Friday night. Uh, you know, one thing jumps out of me is just, again, really good Conchar minutes. Um, I'm, I'm going to be really excited to get Bain back. And so then we have Conchar, uh, playing bench minutes and really helping that bench unit. Um, you know, once again, uh, the, the kind of beginning of the second beginning of the fourth quarters continue to be sort of our struggle. And that showed up again, you know, go into the fourth quarter with a 10 point lead and honestly should have been 12. We, we were, we went a little too fast, um, on the last shot of the quarter, but 10 point lead 
And for, for us to then be in a battle is a little frustrating um, considering kind of where, where we were last year. I felt like when we had double-digit leads going to the fourth, you could pretty much count on um, it not being a close game. Yeah. I thought Conchar, like you said, was huge. He and Jao led the team both in plus-minus. If anything, Conchar just to me has become a reliable cutter and also has really taken a step forward when it comes to knowing when to pull the trigger from three and yet at the same time not being too timid right. timid and where he needs a ton of space. Like there were a couple of times where he pulled up. I remember one in the corner where I actually thought he got fouled and yeah. it was a contested three-point shot. And yet at the same time, you can see how he's been coached up to really pull it. And he mm-hmm. has been he's been on fire yeah. in the last three games. And like I said, much needed while Bain is off the floor as of right now, but he also has been a transition partner for jaw in a lot of ways. You see a ton of hit ahead passes to him and he actually finishes plays to me when he was first starting out in the last couple of years with us and getting spot minutes here and there, I thought his strength was as a play finisher and it still is in that area, in my opinion, and less on the creation side, but you're seeing a little bit more creation when it comes to maybe a one dribble pull up, especially from deep. And so yeah. John Conchar was huge. Yeah, and he had eight rebounds. And it's funny because he had t- like six in the first quarter. Yes, just and, like that. And he was he's great getting rebounds. But then even that, you know, I mean, if you, uh, it's one of those things that doesn't show up in the box score. But he had so many where he just kind of kept rebounds sort of alive uh, for our, our bigger players like an Aldama and then especially like a Jaron and Steven Adams to actually corral it or to then tip it back to one of our guards. Like he just he just kept the ball alive a lot. Yeah, uh, today was just it was just great, and so it's 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 fun. It's always fun when a player that that you feel like had a great game leads the team in plus minus, and so uh, it's always nice to see that. Yeah, I um okay, we have to talk a little bit about what I feel has been the biggest weakness in the Grizzlies game so far this season. I mentioned it at the beginning of the season as something to watch, and unfortunately, it has gone uh, the way that we d- did not want it to go, and that is our free throw percentage. Right now, now this is not factoring in tonight's game, which we were 74% from the line tonight, but we are currently sitting before tonight with the lowest free throw percentage in franchise history, ranked 30th in the league, in free throws, 69.6%. Sub, 70. Steven Adams shooting 24.5% from the line. He is a career 54% uh, shooter from the line, and yet 24.5%. Now, I I think that might go up. I think he shot around 40-something tonight. I think it was 4 for 9. So, I mean, that'll give the 24.5 a boost. It is rough when you go 4 for 9 from the free throw line and your percentage goes up. That is exactly right. (laughs) And also, at one point in time, he actually got hit in the face and then took two free throws. And I was like, maybe this will improve it. Maybe, like, he's not shooting well with two eyes and he just needs one. And I was doing a little bit more digging on this because I was just like, there. What is what is the problem here? And you look at the volume because we are top ten in free throw attempts, and so it's not that we are not getting to the line and that the wrong people are getting to the line. We're still we're getting there a lot, which could I mean theoretically, whoever gets right. there the most might have a lower percentage, which makes sense. But at the same time, Jaw is the one 
that you just really need to shoot well because he's going to have more attempts. He's going to have double usually on a given night. And right now in wins, Josh shooting 77% from the line and losses, he's shooting 72%. And so you're looking now at, at, a, at a longer career for Josh four years in. He's been mid-70s about the whole time. As a team, we're looking at in wins, we shoot 73.6%. Now, last year, we shot 73.4% for the season. We were obviously a very good team. So to me, in wins, 73.4 and 6 or whatever it is, that's fine. We're obviously going to beat teams in a lot of different ways. It's not all free throws. But in losses, we're shooting 63.9% from the line. And in a lot of close games, particularly the right. Sacramento game, which we're about to get to, you see Ja at the very end have a chance, misses the, the first one. Of course, you can't isolate one particular trip to the line and make conclusions about the entire game based on that. But this has got to be a, a piece of Ja Morant's game that has to improve because he is going to get to, a, to the line a lot in the fourth quarter, especially the way he attacks the right. paint. And um, Adams, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell would tell him to start shooting underhanded. Yes. Uh, but uh, Ja and, and Steve-O, Jaron and Dylan also get to the line a lot. Yeah. They're shooting relatively fine. Dylan, not as high as his career. Jaron has actually yeah. been shooting it pretty well. This is just a weakness, and we cannot have the lowest free throw percentage in franchise history if we want to go for very far. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's so funny because uh, when we were doing our preseason um, predictions and talking, like one of the things we were hoping for is one that we're an older team and that we're more uh, that being more of a fun team, more of a flashy team. We were going to get star treatment, get to the free throw line more, um, and also hope we were hoping also that just Dylan and especially Jaron would foul less. And that's actually happened. We we are we're doing much better, not fouling people, not getting in foul trouble. We're getting to the line more. We're just not making them, and that's the frustration part. Is that we we just assumed. Oh, you know, this is going to be a place where we improve. The problem is we're not we're not taking advantage of this of this new way because one of the things we talked about was, you know, maybe with losing Kyle and Melton that we were going to not have uh, maybe as many turnovers to create more possessions. But we were hoping three point shooting would improve, half court offense would improve, free throws would have would improve just by getting more of them. And that's happened. We just haven't made the free throws. Yeah, so. exactly. And Bain has been out. It's worth noting. And he's over 90%. Right. And so he, anytime he will, help. he will help the team percentage 100%. Um, but it's it's job that I'm most worried about. Right. And I think a lot of it, too, when it comes to free throws for these guys, they have the ability it's all between the ears. And I think with Ja, it's got to get to a point where he believes or maybe even has some sort of sports psychology work done because I think that might be the final hurdle for him because we've seen him make shots yep. all around this area. It's not that he is doesn't have the ability. I just think that whether it's a mental thing, I don't know. But yeah. it's just one thing that I know has to improve for us to actually – be at a point where we can close out games and continue to win in these clutch situations because right. so many of these games end up being decided from yeah. the line. The NBA season is heating up and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, 
Everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I mean, it's funny because, you know, he got that last rebound. Of course, it gave him the triple-double, which was fun. But it's a weird thing when I was thinking, oh, if Brandon Clark, if he'd let Brandon get that rebound, you know, uh, because Brandon doesn't, you know, isn't one of those guys that's the greatest looking shot either. But I actually wanted him to have it because I think Clark's been more, you know, more consistent on the free throw line this year. Yeah. So uh, so that's that's the one thing that I noticed across the games. Well, just moving to either the, the Kings or the Pelicans or the Brooklyn game, what are, what's another observation you had from this past week? Yeah, so there's been a couple, uh, you know, for me, one of the big things was the Kings game moving into the Pelicans game. And and uh, is and I think the Knicks game, despite uh, having to deal with Jalen Brunson being uh, just on fire that fourth quarter, I do think we have started to get our kind of defensive swagger back uh, with Jaron uh, now coming back. Uh, Dylan coming back, but then seeing the rest of the team sort of elevate um, even the rookies, I think, and, and there were still some rookie moments tonight even, uh, you know, and we're going to always be kind of weak defensively playing rookies because they're just not used to it. But we kind of got that swagger. And one of the things that I thought was important down the stretch of that Sacramento Kings game uh, was that run we made pressing uh, guarding because that was sort of one of those you cannot play that way a whole game like it's just impossible to play that way but it was one of those moments where it's like I felt like our team was like look that like in the come playoff time come big time we can play defense like this and it's devastating and the Kings almost coughed at that coughed up that game and 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 I thought we really took that energy into the Pelicans game and just came out uh you know so strong Dylan Played probably one of the best defensive games I've seen on Zion Williamson. Uh, Steven Adams was basically not going to let JV get anything. I felt like Jaron was protecting the paint. Um, and and J- even like even players like Jaw were very intense with their defense. And I just thought we came out and we were s- so mad about the Kings game. And we just put it to the Pelicans. And that was just and, – and I, I think it carried a little bit into today um, – and and I just think we ran into a guy on a hot streak with Jane Brunson or we would have won by double digits. And and so I'm excited about where we're going on the defensive end, because I think, uh, you know, I think if we play what we're capable of defensively, we're going to be in every game. And then the hopefully, you know, and then and then we'll see where the offense is. Uh, but but if we can keep it up defensively, if we can see that, you know, once 30th now all the way up to 17th that defensive efficiency keep rising. Um, that'll be really exciting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, I know I've taken a couple of time, but um, the shot variance game, uh, I just want to talk about this because one of the things I heard about the Kings and I know I'm, so, I feel like I'm getting, I'm, I'm like every week now I'm like getting onto the fans, but I just got a lot of texts from friends. I can't believe we lost to the Kings. This is terrible. We're terrible. And, and one, 
this isn't this isn't the Kings of the last 10, 15 years. They have the number one offense uh, or, or number one, number two offense in the NBA. They're very good. I think they're a sure playing team. They could maybe do even more depending on trades they make and other things. They are a very, very good team, and they were coming in having won six games in a row. So they were coming in with serious swagger. We also were playing with, you know, and Jaw looked fine, but he was obviously coming off an ankle. Uh, we were beat up. You know, all those all those players were coming off of illnesses and things. So I just all that said, you know, what was so encouraging about it and and it was to me, it was sort of a moral victory. Like I was wish we'd won. But the fact that we shot eight for 30 from three, which was 26 percent, they shot 15 for 45, which isn't amazing as 33 percent. But they they had seven more threes than us. Well, Fox and Herter shooting Shoot. nine for 15 combined. Yes, That's combined. The- we missed 11 free throws. Speaking of the free throw line, uh, we missed 25 shots in the paint. We went 31 of 56. So hilariously, we still had 62 points in the paint against them, but we missed 25 shots in the paint. We had a lot of layups missed um, and, and all those things. And then, and especially, and Fox had two threes, like desperation guarded with the shot clock running out or, you know, and Barnes had one. So that's nine points that they scored on basically desperation heaves with a guy in their face that one of them banked in the other two switched. Uh, and, and the fact that that was, you know, a one possession coin flip game at the end uh, with really honestly jaw having free throws to tie it was incredible to me. And it showed that this is what I was hoping to see um, that I'm wanting to see the next 60 games, which is our defense comes in and our defense is playing well, that we can deal with shot variance games and even keep it close. Because this was a game where I think at the beginning of the year, we would have been blown out by 20 points. But now getting Jaron and Dylan back, playing good defense, we were able to keep it in um, within. And then we just like put on that crazy pressure at the end of the game. So that was that was a big, all that said is people walked away discouraged by the Kings loss. And I think it's one of those games in the long regular season where you can look at and say, actually, um, while we always want a W, it's very encouraging to basically get a shot variance game go against us and still be in it. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of shot variance, I think we earned this win, but I was in the house for the Pelicans game, and my oh my, what a fun first quarter scoring 44 points when it seems like we could not miss. I mean, seriously, every single player uh, was just on fire. Uh, Dylan Brooks shot four for nine from three. Conchar shot three for five. Jaron was two for three. Roddy even hit one in the first quarter, and that's when I knew that this was going to be a long night for the Pelicans, but 47% from three. It's very nice to just see a game like that where you you feel as though we have built a roster that has this capability, but not everybody has clicked at the same exact times until this game that night. And when you combine that, and you alluded to this earlier, but this truly was the best Dylan Brooks defensive performance that I've seen in a long time, maybe since the Utah Jazz playoff series. And you could sense the frustration with the Pelicans. And I know that Zion, I mean, he is something else to see in person, but I felt as though Dylan had his number. The entire night was almost at a point where anytime 
I saw Zion versus Dylan, I wasn't nervous. I was automatically thinking about, okay, what are we going to do in this next transition when Zion ultimately misses this? And I don't know. It started, I don't know, I thought in my mind where I know Dylan is so good on the perimeter, but I'm also thinking about how he played Carl Anthony Towns in the last playoff series. I'm now looking at him and how he played Zion, how he's just played up to yeah. these these inside out or outside in, I should say, bigs. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, is this going to be moving forward Dylan's calling card where he actually is more impactful against these types of guys than yeah. he is against the perimeter guys that he's have, having to chase around? I also think that the referees automatically allow more physicality yes. near the rim with yeah. a, and he's has less of a chance to pick up these ticky-tack fouls, especially one thing that Dylan loves to do is to close out really, really hard on three-point shooters, and that has sometimes uh, either gotten him a dumb foul or he just throws himself out of the play. Mm-hmm. When you have a guy who's trying to attack the paint, well, you have a, you know, he can match the physicality and he has a little bit more leeway. No. And that's one thing that I, I noticed during the Pelicans No, I mean, game. I actually think Dylan is better guarding guys bigger than him then he then and then and I actually think he does a good job like he does I think he does a great job on Curry um, but like if you see with Jalen Brunson today I think he struggles a little bit more with the short quick guys that can use that physicality against him but yeah I mean also I mean you know it went away because the Brooklyn game was a throwaway game in the sense that we were sitting our three best players uh, but uh, but Dylan actually for three quarters played really well against Kevin Durant and it wasn't really until the fourth quarter when just kind of the floodgates opened and Utah Utah killed us that um, but <sighs> but he was playing uh, great defense even against Durant and Durant obviously is not a, a post guy but he's another big type of player that I think that I think Dylan really enjoys guarding against but I definitely think uh, it'll be interesting to see I think yeah the bigs that sort of like to go perimeter in. Um, like a Zion, like Cat, I think Dylan is really good against them. Yeah. So I think that's something to look out for with certain teams and matchups. As as we get near to kind of thinking about playoffs and other things, I think um, that kind of excites me that we potentially could have um, him play a four, kind of a weird small ball four lineup, um, you know, depending on how Zaire looks. Yeah. Uh, so it's really exciting. I think it's just an exciting tool that potentially we can bring out. Um, so yeah. And to me the emergence of of Conchar as a guy who can at least hold his own and be one step quicker than Dylan is laterally yeah. and also to me plays within himself and a little bit smarter. He doesn't have the same uh attacking mentality that Dylan has. Mm-hmm. So that part is missing. So you're going to want Dylan on somebody for 48 minutes, but Conchar in specific situations to me has shown that he could be smart about what a situational defense. One one note I wanted to mention, and I was looking this up because the the trend now of us being more of a defensive-minded team, especially with Bain out, and that's the way we have to win, and Jaron coming back into the fold, I looked up what is the, uh, the defensive rating when Jaron and Dylan are on the floor together versus both of them off the floor. Defensive rating, 95.8 when both of them are on the floor, which is in the 100th percentile in the NBA. So top top duo in that respect. When they are both off the floor, the Grizzlies are at a 121.9 defensive rating, which is 4th percentile. So you see, just from that one stat, the impact that having both of those guys on the floor uh, is for the Grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah, um, a couple other little small points. Um, you mentioned Conchar. Again, this is one of the fun things that I like how we do this weekly 
thing because, you know, Conchar, everybody kind of dissing him uh, in the Kings game because down the stretch, he missed two wide open threes. He also had like kind of a layup that he sort of messed up, uh, sort of like weird, like in between thing, he didn't know what to do. Um, So that, and that's potential eight points, you know, and obviously in a very close game, we were trying to make that comeback. And, and he does that, but this is what I love is the next game, that Pelicans game, huge bounce back game for him. You know, I think goes three for five from three uh, looks great. And then again, tonight, great game. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I think, uh, we as fans and others, like when we have a loss, like that's what it's just interesting to me that when we lose is when we have all the takes, we have all the hot takes about Conchar is not good enough. Uh, we shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have done this in the, in, in the off season, you know, but then we win games and nobody's like, you know, says, Oh, well, this is awesome. And I think that's, that's like a good showing of, you know, Conchar had a, had a rough game there towards the end, but that was a learning experience for him. He, he came back and was great the next game. And then this Knicks game where he was a, a guy who had to play in the clutch and played great. I mean, he, he guarded Brunson. He, you know, Dylan went out Conchar and uh, Brunson couldn't guard on, couldn't score on Conchar. I mean, I think it's pretty, you know, uh, pretty cool to see. And I think it's also really interesting how quickly our expectations get set. When you look back, He's an undrafted guy out of a college that 99% of NBA fans probably have not heard of. Uh, and it's just crazy to, to see his progression. He's now starting in place of Desmond Bain, who is another 30th pick. And think of it, what our expectations are for Desmond Bain. Yeah. And so I think it's just something that we need to take a step back every once in a while yes. and count our blessings that we are... Um, we are, you know, down on a guy for having a bad two minutes who is an undrafted free yes. agent in twenty nineteen and then he comes back out and this is what our expectations are. That's right. That's a testament to where we are. And it's also a testament to the people who are frustrated with with the slowness with which we're bringing Junior Lofton along. But this is the this is the plan is the two way guys. We give them a year uh, down in the G League to work on stuff. We give them two summer leagues. You know, and I just think uh, I think that patience, uh, the patience with Conchar obviously is paying off. And we have the guy for the next like six, six, seven years <laughs> on a super cheap contract. And that's I mean, it's just that's just an amazing thing to have a, a guy like that, that cheap. It's going to just continue to pay dividends, I think. All right. Well, moving on to this next week, we have a few days. Uh, the next game is in Minnesota on Wednesday, November 30th at 7 p.m. We then have a Friday home game. Against the 76ers, I, I will be in attendance. I don't know about you, John. Are you going to uh, be there? Do you not know? sure yet. Not sure Okay. Yet. Well, TBD, that's going to be a big game, the Melton return. And then we have another Sunday uh, late afternoon game in Detroit against the Pistons at 5 p.m. So these are the three games we're going to talk about. Before we get into the games, John, do you have a guess who yes. for me this week? Yes. Um, I'm not going to say anything because they might give it away. But uh, guess who is... Second in steals per game in the entire NBA. Third overall, if you played more games, I think he would be uh, higher. He wouldn't be third. He would be second or first in steals overall. But he's second in steals per game, and he's second in deflections per game. I'm going to guess DeAnthony Melton, that our is, friend. That is correct. It is DeAnthony <laughs> Melton. And I say that because I knew this was going to be a more obvious guess who, but um, I say that because, um, and, and this, uh, again, um, sort of, I guess, in a sense, uh, 
foreshadowing maybe a future podcast this week where we go into this more. But I want to say that uh, because I, I often I often never say when I'm wrong or when I might be uh, less than right. Uh, and I still I still am going to hold on a little bit to I think that the turnovers, and the possession stuff is part of a system thing. And I see our turnovers starting to creep up more that we're getting our good defensive players back. And I hope that uh, when Zaire and Bain, we have our full rotation, but I, I do want to say that I think that um, it's great to see Melton doing really well on another team. It's, it's both sad and fun for me to see how much he's already a fan favorite in Philadelphia. Um, you know, again, uh, the, the cynical part of me would want to say, we'll see what's we'll see in May. We'll see, we'll see in April and May with Melton, but, but it's great to see him play. And, he obviously is somebody, uh, he has increased, you know, he never had that kind of, you know, he was always great with steals. He was always great with deflections, but nothing like this year. So he's playing great uh, for Philadelphia. And so that's just super exciting to see. And, you know, and I think that'll be probably a trade uh, we can debate more as the season prolongs, and especially probably in the next year or two. Uh, about that trade, but um, but at the same time, just wanted to point that out that I do admit, Mel- I love Melton. He's great. He's doing really well for Philadelphia. So yeah, absolutely. I think the two biggest debatable moves that this front office has made in the past was number one, trading Jay Crowder for Justice Winslow in in that trade, and and Solomon Hill as well. And we can debate, you know, the merits of that, and we did at the time a few years ago. And now we have this Melton trade, which in in both in both cases you have a a, a swing in a way for uh, trading away something that you know for something that would be more of a swing, and they're two different types of swings. Uh, but Melton has been playing amazing, and it, Philadelphia really was fortunate in their timing of this trade because both James Harden and Tyrese Maxey yes. have missed extended time, and so you're seeing Melton in heavy minutes and is still keeping up. Right statistically and and like you said becoming some sort of a fan favorite and it's kind of cool to see his progression there and it is it's hard sometimes to to see his success but at the same time i can appreciate it yeah and i can hear all my uh uh all my friends who love mountain um and y'all know who you are saying hmm so you mean when two shooting guards and Harden and Maxi, or even kind of ball handling guards that do a lot of the playmaking when they're out. It's really nice to have Melton there. And, and we think, and we look at Bain, uh, we look at Zaire and then obviously Jaws missed some games, um, you know, and that it would be nice to have Melton this year. And, and I'll continue to say, I think that, uh, and we'll, you know, again, we'll, I think we'll talk about this more in later podcasts, but, uh, but it was definitely, you know, it was a risky move, uh, to do that for the, like, it was a long-term move. I think it was, it was giving up potentially short-term, uh, some regular season wins this year. Um, but we can debate. I still think, you know, long-term it was the better move, but we'll see. So. And it, he'll be always in a, inextricably linked to David Roddy, who has not had the greatest start yes, to a season. Yes, unfortunately, because there, there's other things about, you know, there's, there's uh flex cap, ca- uh, a cap flex, f- cap flexibility, 
um, as well as a Danny Green contract, which we still have yet to see what happens with both those. Hundred percent. Well, um, okay, Minnesota. Let's start there. Ten yeah. and ten right now. They're eleventh in the West. So if the season ended today, they wouldn't even be right. in the play-in. So sorry to hear that, Minnesota. And they just got destroyed by um, at home. Uh, by the Warriors, who only had one road win coming into the game, um, and it was like not even close. They gave up, I believe, 47 points in the first quarter to the Warriors, and yes, uh, Gobert was playing in that game. Um, and so I was actually hoping that they did have, I was like, please have one more game before us, because I didn't want them coming in uh, going crazy, and they do, fortunately. So hopefully, whatever frustrations they can get out, maybe they can get some kind of um, kind of win and then kind of come in and do their normal T Wolves thing with us. But, um, but that was that it's alarming to see. I think even, um, you know, I, I think I still expected them to be a pretty good regular season team just because of the go bear factor and the defense and the regular season. But man, it's, it's trouble there. Yeah. It's real trouble. If, if, if I were to have the, you know, power to change the schedule in any way that I would want, I would want to try and schedule all of these Minnesota games as early on as possible. So I was really excited to see them on the schedule because they still have not worked out those kinks at all. I would feel coming off of two days rest, we've now won two in a row. And I actually think like counting, bringing that Kings fourth quarter with us, like I just think having great momentum, I would normally just feel super confident. The one just thing is, man, when you go to the, when you go to the home of a team you beat in the playoffs for the first time, uh, it is going to be a crazy environment. I expect Minnesota that to be their best crowd of the season so far. So th- in that sense, I do think, you know, we, we better come in and play well. Yeah, 100%. And I'm also intrigued to see Jaron coming back and uh, playing his first game against the Timberwolves after his disappointing playoff series last year. You know that he's going to want to come out and show – uh, what he can do and yep. and his new and improved game as well. Uh, so that's going to be a really fun game on Wednesday night. And then after that, we've we've talked about it just a little bit. But the 76ers, eleven and nine, they're sixth in the East right now. They're actually trending in a good direction uh, based on their even despite their recent injuries. They're sixteenth yeah. in offense, and really the main thing here is third on defense. Yeah, so you're seeing. Team. Joel Embiid protect the rim really well. You're seeing guys like DeAnthony Melton out on the perimeter, uh, really making life difficult for the opposing team. They're sixth in net rating. What are you going to be watching for in this? Yeah, game? I mean, I feel like honestly, this is this is kind of a similar style to the Knicks, but just better. And so, in that sense, you know that that this is a game that I am definitely. Um, the, the nice thing is we're at home, so uh, we're not going to Philly, which would to me would be we never win in Philly ever. Um, so we are at home. Uh, the other thing is just, man, with them, who knows? Is Embiid going to play? Who knows? Uh, but it seems like Harden and Maxi are both going to be out. I think those are two huge losses for them. And um, and so it would be interesting to see. It's Melton Revenge game potentially. Uh, but I do think at home we should beat teams like 76ers, especially without two of their top three players. Um, but we'll see. Really? Yeah, this should be a win. I'm going to keep my eye on P.J. Tucker. One th- yeah. one of the weaknesses of the Grizzlies' defense still has been their three-point defense and rotations around that area, and so P.J. Tucker is a guy who feasts on bad rotations in three-point defense. So hopefully he doesn't have a... Uh, yeah, a great game, and also he's been day to day recently. Yeah. So who knows if he's going to play? Well, one other, one subtle thing though is that he's not going to be playing, obviously. But it is nice sometimes because we've historically kind of struggled with the 76ers. 
uh, even when they even with when Embiid plays, when Embiid doesn't play, it is nice to have Danny Green. I feel like that could, maybe could give us a little bit of a a little bit of an edge of just like giving you know some good scouting reports uh, on certain players and things like that. Danny so Green revenge game in a different way, in a different way <laughs> from the sidelines. From the sidelines. <laughs> All right, and then the the uh, you know the biggest game I would say of the weekend. No, I'm joking. Detroit five and seventeen, fifteenth in the East right now. 23rd in offense, 29th in defense, 29th in net rating. Kelsey Wright Johnson's uh, <laughs> prediction to be they, really good this you know, year. Yeah, they finally fa- they changed the commercial uh, tonight Did for the they? first time. Now it's Sneaker Fest commercial. She's been begging. Uh, so uh, she's been begging for them to get that off. So. Which is, I've enjoyed it every time. I Every single time I see it, I take a screenshot and send it to the guys yeah. just because I can't stop laughing every single time I, I see it. I will say, and they've dealt with some serious injury stuff, um, I will say it's been interesting. I've actually been watching some of their games because they've played a lot of West teams and I've been hoping they've played well and they've actually upset a couple. Um, So they're playing a lot better. They're playing better than their record shows. And so they're definitely the kind of team that if we mess around, it kind of could be similar to that Wizards game earlier this season where we like mess around and then we're down nine, nothing. It's like, wait, what? And then we have to turn it on. Um, we should easily beat this team, but I will say, I think uh, for whatever reason, without Cade Cunningham, they've been playing a little better. Um, uh, and, uh, and they've just kind of been playing good team basketball. Uh, and so all that said is they're still an NBA team. They can still beat us, but this should be, this should be a professional win. Yeah, a few things. Bojan Bogdanovic yes. uh, was like on fire to start the season. Yeah. He, and he and he likes to be on fire against us. He too. does. He does. Going back to that Utah series, especially uh, Jay Nivey, whose game has been compared a lot to John Morant, and also his mom was an assistant coach with the Grizzlies. So it's going to be interesting seeing him play against Ja. Uh, and then finally, Jalen Duran uh, return home to to Memphis mm-hmm. and where he played his college ball. And so it's going to be a great. Uh, Matchup in specific ways, but I think overall this should be a professional win uh, for the Grizzlies next Sunday. Uh, any last thoughts, John, before we close it out? No, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping the next time we do a podcast that we're talking about, you know, a five game win streak, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have another podcast coming to you this week with the rest of the Grizzden guys. We're going to get more into high level themes, how things have been trending so far in the league, and also just uh, some some general takes that we have brewing yes. on the Grizzlies. And then we'll also have a special announcement coming uh, here that yeah. the Christmas season is coming. Um and John, then we, we need to make our 10-game prediction. Oh, my we gosh. Leave. You are so right. You are so right. Okay. Uh, we went 5-5 five and five in the last 10-game yes. prediction. And the reason we do this is so that we can identify where things are sitting at a point in time right. so that we can, we can look back and say, okay, what went wrong and what we were expecting. And obviously, two of the things that went wrong were we had a Desmond Bain injury and a John Morant injury and those were the headliners i will say this though so with that so we did so i think um it is you know it's an easy excuse to make with the injuries that we went five and five but i'll also say uh and they were injury related of course but we literally just gave up gave away two games we we gave away a game against the washington wizards sat people and that was you know it was there's stuff on the injury report obviously bain was actually injured uh but we just sat jaw to sit him um, it feels like um, similar to the Nets game. We just sat Jaron to sit him. 
Um, and we were dealing with some injuries there, but we kind of like, those are two games. I think for us, you know, this is my defense of the seven and three. I think those are two games we thought we were going to win, um, that we kind of sat people. And so actually, so I say that to say, I think we should be encouraged by going five and five with all the injuries that we had. And honestly, the schedule we thought was going to be good. Well, we end up playing teams, you know, like the jazz and like the wizards and like, uh, uh, I mean, not wizards, like, well, actually the wizards, the jazz, um, the nets have been better. And obviously the Kings, like we're playing teams that I think we thought were professional win teams that have actually been a lot better. So I think in that sense, you know, I think five and five is fine. hundred percent. Well, for the next 10 games, we have the, the three games we just discussed. And then after that, we play the Heat at home, the Thunder at home, the Pistons again at home. And then we have the Hawks at home. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we have a four, four game homestand. Excuse me, five, five, because then we play the Bucks right after that. Five game homestand, and then we have at the Thunder, and then at the Nuggets, and that brings us to December twentieth. Uh, okay, did did you go first last time? Is I it did, my turn? So it's your turn. Okay, my turn. I'm going to go and say, given the question marks, both with Bain and Zaire still on the table, and there are some interesting opponents sprinkled in here that are, I think, are going to be a lot tougher matchups. I'm going to say six and four. For okay. for this uh, ten game stretch. Okay, so I thought about going six and four too, um, and then I thought about going seven three, but I've I'm bored with seven and three, so I'm going bigger, going home eight and two, eight and two, yes. So I think that this is when I I'm I'm calling the uh, I'm calling that we've got the momentum, we're here for it, um, we're gonna we're gonna get on a run here. We also play very well at home. We play very well so at home. So having that I'm, long honestly, of a home stretch. Yes, it's very good. Um, honestly, both the losses have been, I think, moral victories in the Kings and the Celtics um, with a lot of asterisks going on. Uh, I think, so I'm counting on, honestly, like the Bucks or other some other team resting uh, that, in that sense. Uh, but I do, you know, obviously that at Denver, um, that last game, I'm, I'm already giving us an L on that one. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe they'll surprise me. Um, hopefully we might have Bain and Zaire by then. Uh, but I just think I think I, I'm feeling that we've got something cooking here um, that we're going to get a lot of home games. Um, and I like obviously I like this week's games. I think we should go three and zero this week. Um, so that's so I'm going eight and two. Yeah, I think the to me the Timberwolves, 76ers, Heat, and Hawks are the four that are going to be the swing swing games for me because yeah. I think. If you go two and two in those games, I think you're closer to six and four. If you can come away with that stretch three and one, I yeah. think you have a much more likely chance right. of going eight and two. Because right. the other oppon- opponents, I'm not worried about Pistons at all. Um, Thunder, I feel like we can take care of them yeah. in a professional manner. Uh, so, and so. part of and part of my hope is, uh, I mean, this is looking ahead, looking at some of the teams that are around us. I do think that this stretch is a good possibility that Denver and us are going to be two teams that kind of start separating themselves. That's my hope. Um, the Suns keep staying up there, but they have played a lot of home games and they are really thin. Um, and so I do expect them to come to the back of the pack a little bit, but I do think that, so my hope is that we get on a streak and then that at Denver game has a little bit more spice. We bring a little bit more edge to it and maybe can pull it out. So that's my eight and two. Six and four and eight and two, our first deviation. Our first deviation. So this will be really interesting. Uh, Vegas odds are, are the over under is at seven, I would say. So um, yeah. we'll see what yeah, happens. You took the under, I took the over. That's right. Um, all right. Well, this has been another edition of the Week Den Update. Remember, you can email the show, grizdenpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and you might get on the air. For John, I'm Will. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next weekend.